Hello, this is Steve Bailey, and I am filling your ears not with milk, but with hard-boiled eggs and nuts, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. For this episode, I thought I would do what I am calling Laurel and Hardy's Homages to Horror. Three movies that uh, allow Stan and Ollie to do their take on the horror movie. These three are not the all-time greatest Laurel and Hardy short subjects, but of the three, there's one that's only really painful, and I'm going to get that one out of the way first. In 1930, they did a short called The Laurel Hardy Murder Case, and probably the most imaginative thing about that movie is its title. It begins with an expository dialogue sequence that could have been funny if it hadn't been so drearily photographed by George Stevens, of all people. And the soundtrack's music for this scene was borrowed from the silent score for Laurel and Hardy's Wrong Again, where it was far more appropriate there than it is here. And then there's nowhere to go but down. What happens is, Ollie reads a newspaper notice about the will reading of the late Ebenezer Laurel, and automatically figures that he and Stan will come into some quick cash. Now, it's always a bad sign when Ollie is more bullying than usual, and here... Uh, when Stan first calls the question of Ollie's part of the inheritance into question, Ollie first tries to guilt trip Stan into letting him have half the dough, and when that doesn't work, he just plain yells Stan into submission. But then, does it really matter? It turns out Ebenezer Laurel is suspected of having been murdered, so all the potential heirs are locked up in the mansion for the night, and the movie makes no comedic use of the fact that Ollie's belligerence got him only an evening in a spooky mansion instead of the expected big bucks. And the spooks in the household are well below average, roaming black cats, bats dangling from strings, and the like. Uh, most dreary of all is the movie that was all a dream cop-out finale, which uh, would also be used in one of the later entries that I'll discuss. Uh... I have a big hang-up with the It Was All a Dream cliche. It's another one of those things that might have been fresh in its day if it hadn't been worn thin by decades of unimaginative movie and TV writers. Uh, the first instance that I know of it, I'm not a huge movie historian, but I know it was used many times in Chaplin and Keaton comedies, uh, these couple of times with Laurel and Hardy, and then well on into the TV era in situation comedies. And when it's used here, it caps off a movie that wasn't very imaginative to start with. So the second one I would like to cover is a silent film of theirs from 1928, Habeas Corpus. Now, actually, Habeas Corpus is a pleasant reminder of the days when black cats and praying bats were all it took to scare movie audiences. Uh, The movie is a bit creaky in terms of plotting. Through the usual befuddled circumstances, Stan and Ollie are hired by a crazy scientist, played by Richard Carl, to fetch a corpse from a nearby graveyard so that the scientist can use it for his experiments. 
Then in a wayward bit of plotting that presages Laurel Hardy's later half-baked Fox movies, the scientist is nabbed by the police early on. Meanwhile, the scientist Butler, who is played by Laurel and Hardy veteran Charles Ro Charlie Rogers, is really a detective in disguise, and his boss tells him to continue keeping an eye on the boys. Now, why exactly? It's obvious that the boys are innocent pawns in the scientist's plan, so wouldn't an inside detective be more likely to tip the boys off instead of wanting to catch them doing something stupid? Um, it seems that uh, Laurel and Hardy are purveyors here of what the late film critic Roger Ebert calls the idiot plot, where the story would be over in two minutes if the main characters acted like real people instead of like plot devices. Uh, still, there is some very funny stuff along the way, as you can imagine, from Laurel and Hardy trying to break into a graveyard. Uh, the movie's most famous bit, which was later cribbed for their Fox movie, The Big Noise, comes when Ali slides up a street post to read the sign at the top, only to find that the sign says, Wet Paint. And for a pretty average script, Laurel and Hardy perform it pretty enthusiastically. Uh, this is a Laurel and Hardy movie where the performance is put across what the script does not. Lastly, I would like to cover uh, 1934's movie, Oliver the Eighth. Uh, this is a bit more plot-heavy and a bit more macabre than the usual Laurel and Hardy short. But uh, when you have the Laurel and Hardy murder case as your uh, yardstick to go by, any movie looks pretty good, and this one is pretty good. The story here is that Stan and Ollie, here playing partners in a barber shop, come across a personals ad that Stan and Ollie both answer, although Ollie neglects to mail Stan's letter because he wants to have a better chance with the woman. Unfortunately, before, and unbeknownst to Ollie, the woman in question, played by Mae Bush, has it in for men named Oliver, and she engages to him merely for the pleasure of slitting his throat, as she did with her previous seven husbands. Uh, it's not Laurel and Hardy's greatest or most pleasant storyline, but it really does allow for some superb pantomime by all. The highlight of the movie is probably when Stan and Ollie get to the woman's mansion and have to deal with a butler, Jack Barty, uh, who serves imaginary soup. Stan, being a bit on the abstract, abstract side himself, plays along for quite a while, but finally the logical side of him sinks in and he declares, you're nuts. It's also nice to see Stan be a bit more assertive than usual. When he finds out that Ollie has duped him, he follows Ollie to the woman's mansion and declares that he deserves half of what he, what he is going to get, which is surely which he is surely doomed to receive. Uh, of course, we find out that Stan wasn't quite that assertive in selling the barber shop. He settled for a brick, a gold brick, and a bag of nuts. But you can't have everything. And like the other uh, Laurel and Hardy thrill comedies, this one does reek of nostalgia for a time when it took far less blood and gore to get the audience on the edge of its seat. As such, it's a worthwhile comedy. Uh, all three of these movies, I would say, I cannot categorically state that you can find them online, but if you look hard enough, you might just be able to. So see them for yourself and see what you think. Uh, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, let me mention my usual uh, personal plugs. I have a Facebook page devoted to this podcast. It has the same name as the podcast itself, Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. And if you go to that page on Facebook, the cover photo lists all the URLs of the sources where this podcast is available, including Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, 
and uh, Anchor, the parent website that sponsors this this podcast. Also, we have a website that uh, that URL is also listed on the cover page. And in addition to web, that website, I have a website that I've been running for 18 years devoted to Laurel and Hardy movie reviews, reviews of some of their biographies, interviews with some of their biographers, and sundry other things to keep you entertained for hours and hours. The address online for the website is uh, leaveemlaughing.moviefever.com. That's leaveem, leave E-M, laughing dot moviefever.com and finally if you would like to let me know what you think of the podcast good or bad be please feel free to email me my email address is hardboiledeggsandnuts at outlook.com and lastly if itunes is the venue through which you are listening to this podcast i highly request that you leave a rating a star rating and or a review it really helps thank you so much for listening If this is your introduction to the podcast, please feel free to listen to the other 11 episodes and tell me what you think of any of them. Thank you very much for tuning in. And until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye. Thank you.